Welcome to the CDRB Show, the podcast where you get to know some of the coolest people around. I'm your host, Christian Rodriguez, and each week I sit down with a special guest to chat about their life, career, and all the things that make them awesome. We cover some serious topics that matter, but don't worry, we keep it real and laid back. You never know what kind of insights and surprises you'll get, but one thing's for sure, we're always having a good time. So kick back, relax, and join us for another episode of the CDRB Show. Hello everyone and welcome to a new episode of the CDRB Show. I'm Christian Rodriguez and as every week we have a special guest to talk about their life and career. This week's guest is Dr. Stuart Hart, Assistant Professor of Chemistry at the University of the Ozarks. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm good. I'm doing well. Thank you for accepting the invitation to my podcast and uh, I hope we can talk a lot about different topics today. Um, we have uh, every week a different guest and in every episode we try to find out about the personal life and the professional life of every guest. So um, the first question that I wanted to ask you is where were you born? Um, I grew up in a small town in western Kentucky um, called Princeton. Uh, I grew up on a tobacco farm, um, it's a family farm, so um, I had three older sisters from a large family. My dad was the second oldest of seven, mm. and most of his family lived, his sisters still lived pretty close, so, oh. um, you know, farming background in a small town. Mm-hmm. So you're from Kentucky, and that's the place where KFC is. So you, do you like that? that <laughs> yes, <chick? laughs> uh, KFC. That was that's more in central to to eastern Kentucky, uh, oh, okay. Corbin, Kentucky. But yes, KFC <laughs> is pretty common there. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's like worldwide, mm -hmm. uh, and it, it it comes from that state. Mm -hmm. Yeah, here. from a it was the the first one is in a place called Corbin, Kentucky. Okay, well. How was your life uh, when you were a child, like when you were growing up, and what were the values that your parents give, gave to you? Well, I think growing up on a, a farm that really sort of dictates what you have. You know, I like to jokingly said I'm I'm the youngest of four, so I have three older sisters. So oh. I jokingly say my dad was very persistent uh, for free <laughs> farm labor. So I think um, growing up on a farm, you get the value of hard work. Um, I think about, you know, some people when they have breaks in school, they think about what they were doing. Um, I usually worked, right? <laughs> um, I worked during the summer. Uh, yeah. Tobacco farming is very sort of labor intensive um, in that case. So I think the value of that, but also, you know, value of family and community are big things. You know, most of my, especially my dad's side of the family lived very close. Um, mm -hmm. So there are a lot of memories um, sort of tied into that. Um, you know, uh, like most small towns, we had a pretty active church community, which I was more active there, mm. not as much now, huh. um, sort of disenfranchised with organized religion a little bit. But those are the kind of values we had. I mean, <coughs> hard work, you know, and that kind of thing and um, responsibility, right? It really taught you to sort of be sort of an independent person yeah. working on a farm because there were days when I would be assigned something and I was alone for the rest of the day doing mm -hmm. that, right? Wow. So, um, you know, I, I think about working on the farm. I worked there from, oh, seven or eight until about 19. So it was oh, wow. a, a long, long time. So, those so you, things. you didn't get paid or <laughs> like by well, your family in any way? Yeah, I mean, I guess so. Um, 
you know, using the using my time on the farm, that's how, you know, I guess I, I helped my dad buy my first car and things like that. But mm-hmm. I guess that's something else that I, I sort of appreciate later. Um, I sort of learn like the value of money and debt and purchasing things because, yeah. um, yes, I did have, you know, some, some income. My dad would give me a certain percentage of a part of the crop um, mm-hmm. year to year. And I would just hold on to it and never did anything with it. So I remember my dad picked up my bank book and looked at it and was like, how much money is in here? <laughs> and so he immediately made me buy 12 cows. What? Really? So the, fir- the that was the first, um, you know, uh, check that I wrote was for cattle. And it was somewhere <laughs> around, you know, five or $6,000, right, to buy mm. cattle. But I think about that. That's, you know, those cows and the calves, that's what I bought my car my first car with mm-hmm. um, that's what I paid for part of my college with as well that's you know I did a, a study abroad trip when I was an undergraduate and that's what I paid for most of that so I think sort of understanding that idea of the way the economy works and the way money works yeah. I think that's um, I think most farm kids sort of understand that and being a college professor I sort of <laughs> understand that a lot of college students don't um, yeah, in that case it's different maybe mm-hmm. for every situation on how where you're raised or something like that well where you're raised and then I'll, you know if it's a priority or anything like that and yeah. i don't think my parents ever sort of intended that to be the lesson but it was sort of this yeah. ancillary thing that happened right yeah so your dad made you buy those cows or he convinced you and he was like if you want this is the best option for investing um no i don't think there was really an option he said, this, this is what you, this is what's happening right because well. you know it's he, any kid that age probably wouldn't have wanted to spend money but it was also you can't money in the bank doesn't do much for you either right he was i I think showing me the terms of investment but he was also like this is way too much money (laughs) that i didn't realize i think i think he was a little shocked i don't think he realized how much money he had like been slowly putting into this account (laughs) it'd been sort of like the back burner because with farm accounts you have lots of accounts lots of debt lots of things to move around Mm -hmm. so i think he he just like looked at it and was okay this is not this is you not have the to way. reinvest in the farm <laughs> yeah this is this is not this is not the way this is going to work yeah. right so um how how old were you when you when that happened um probably between like 12 and 13 oh my god so i think there was a reason why he was shocked maybe yeah i mean well, wow. it, it'd been years you know several years of just money being put in there and yeah and by, by that age probably you didn't really have a lot of options on what to spend maybe if you were like like in a driving legal age you could buy a car or something like that well and things were different then too as well mm-hmm. you know it's not like there there wasn't the internet there wasn't email so it's not like i could have spent it <laughs> yeah there, there weren't there weren't a lot of shopping options in my hometown of things <laughs> you could waste money on right you know mm-hmm. so i think i think that was sort of one of the things that's a little different. Um, growing up in a small town, I think now, I think you are a lot more col- connected to the world, which is good, but yeah. everything good has a bad, right? You, you also don't have that sort of insulated sort of feel to it as well. Yeah, in what year was that you had that amount of money? Um, I was born in 1981, so it would have been like 92, 93. Oh, wow. 
that's a great amount of money for that year. <laughs> it, it, it was. I mean, it was yeah. just it was just one of the things. And you know, my my dad used that account. Like, I think this is what farming happens to you. Mm-hmm. He, he uses your children to. Okay, if they have this part of the crop, then I don't have to pay taxes on it. They do, right? And it changes the tax yeah. bracket and things like that, too. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a not, strategy. Not a big thing. There, there is a lot of strategy about dealing with debt, which yeah. is kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, talking about your studies, what did you study in college? Um, I went to a small liberal arts college, not very dissimilar from um, Ozarks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a place called Center College. It's in Danville, Kentucky. When I went, we had about 1,200 Twelve, thirteen hundred students. So, oh, well. a very similar thing. It's it's an old university like this one. Um, center was founded in eighteen nineteen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was a chemistry major, um, and I think that's a little shocking for a lot of people. Usually, growing up on a farm, they think you'd be a biology major. <laughs> but I was never as interested in the plants as I was what we were putting on them. Right. Mm. So I was more interested, and in, I was an odd person because I was wanted to be a chemistry major when I started. Not that I really understood what that was. Um, so it was a private sort of liberal arts college too. So we had a pretty broad range of yeah. things. Um, also got a history minor just because I enjoyed it. Right. You like history? Mm-hmm. I read quite a bit. I still read quite a bit of histories and things like that too. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was a chemistry major with a history minor, but with a liberal arts education, our general education program was a little different than here. We yeah. have, the, obviously, the LENS program, but um, I guess I can give you an example. Our freshman writing class was called Humanities, so, okay. and it was a full-year class. So the first semester, we had to read um, the Iliad and the Aeneid and some oh. of these classic works, and we wrote a lot. Um, the second semester, we had to memorize things about art mm. and um, – music like mm-hmm. we had I remember sitting in a room not too dissimilar than this mm-hmm. with a he- set of headphones listening trying to figure out the difference between a sonnet and a fugue no. right? you know <laughs> I mean because that was part of our test mm-hmm. we had to write about it so wow. I think having that sort of I'm a big proponent of that broad nature because it really helps you sort of understand not only culture but makes you think about problems in different ways yeah not only like staying focused on only one specific major for example in in Honduras it's like that like when you get into a major you're stuck into that major for the whole career Mm -hmm. so you don't have like really an option to take elective classes or classes from from other areas that are not from like the same category that your your major Mm -hmm. is so I think that's good from here because you have like the opportunity to explore more you know oh yeah i mean and, and that's the thing you know, you can really you really it, it teaches you to think differently and yeah. that's how you approach sort of the critical thinking you know i i jokingly tell my students i don't want cooks i want chefs yeah right because anybody i can i could take anyone on campus and put them in the lab and give them a procedure and they could follow it right yeah but well i don't know if i could <laughs> you could right so most most you know, chemistry is a lot like cooking if you can cook something you can do fine in the yeah. lab, right? But that's just following the instructions, right? Yeah. Understanding the why. Sometimes that's that takes different. Very different, right? Yeah. So could, could you say that maybe the farm work and all the chemicals you had to use maybe in those times were an influence for you to to want to study that? 
Uh, yeah, I think I think that's definitely it. Um, I enjoyed that class in high school as well. Not that mm-hmm. you learn a lot of chemistry in high school, but also that I think it also I was used to things that were challenging, um, and and I knew chemistry was going to be challenging. Yeah, and it's it's also adjustment going to college, right? You know, going from a small rural high school. You know, I think my graduating class had maybe you know 150 students in it. Not a very big class. Yeah, um, and being probably one of the top students in that class to go into college where you're now maybe top of the average. Right? Mm-hmm. So I think that is much a culture shock to anything um, for me going to college where it's a pretty big adjustment for me, you know, realizing that I didn't have to work as hard in high school, but that changed quite a bit in college. Yeah. Did you care a lot about your GPA when you were in college? I probably should have cared a lot more. <laughs> What was your UPA? Um, it was right. It was right around a three, oh. right. So oh, it wasn't a great. Um, but also the, you know, I went to a, a fairly rigorous school. I had to get used to, and I actually had to get my parents used to realizing, you know, <laughs> a B is a good grade, right? That's yeah. a that's a good grade in this, right? So um, could I've been a lot more studious? Absolutely, right. Um, I I knew the the GPA that would keep me in school and probably push me on to do what I wanted, right, with yeah. the, everything else. But I wasn't uh, I wasn't one to stress about, oh, this grade, you know, I got a B plus in this class or a B minus. I mean, I, yeah. I probably should have cared a lot more, but I didn't. So you were not like that kind of student that wants to get straight A's every semester. Do you mm-hmm. care about grades? Like... You as professor, do you care if a student gets an A or a B or an A student is better than the B student? I think it all really depends on what the, what effort they put in, mm-hmm. um, especially the courses I teach in chemistry, right, where I sometimes have to convince students that a B is a great grade, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, my I, I gave a biochemistry test today, and sometimes it's – I gave an organic test on Friday, you know, last Friday, and – Sometimes it, it, you're never going to leave one of those tests feeling good, yeah. right? You know, it's very rare that someone does, but they're they're a challenge, and they should be, right? Mm-hmm. And my classes are sort of structured where you can put in, if you put in all the work, right? You do the labs, you try really hard on the exams, you do all the homework, you do everything that I ask you to do, you can pass the class. That's not a hard thing, right? Shifting from a C to a B, that's a significant amount of work difference. Shifting from a B to the A range, that's even more work in that case. Yeah. And I try to design, especially my exams, the people understanding the material, let's say the top you know, three or four students, mm-hmm. they deserve to be challenged and to struggle just like <laughs> everybody else. And I know that's – I get a laugh from that. They're <laughs> like, why do they have to struggle? Well, struggling is important, right? In these topics, you've got to struggle with it if it comes – too easy what are you getting out of it right you should be challenged and have to think through it um, mm-hmm. I talk to my students about you know learning is a frustrating irritating infuriating humiliating process <laughs> right yeah and the one I try to get them over the the quickest is the humiliation factor no one likes to think that they don't understand something mm-hmm. and we all when you ask a question in class you, you think you don't understand it and everybody else does And we know that's not true. Mm-hmm. If you don't understand it, at least two-thirds of the class doesn't understand it either. 
right? Yeah. But you've got to be willing to ask that question. But it should be frustrating if hard topics don't come easy to anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And you've probably heard it in your classes. Oh, well, you know, that person just gets it. No, they don't. Yeah. Nobody just gets anything, right? Now, sometimes we don't see some of the best students, how much work they put in outside, right? Mm-hmm. But that struggle is what's important. And that's sort of why you, you're paying to come to college, right? You're not paying to come and get good grades. You're paying to come to college to struggle and to be challenged yeah. and to really think about what you're doing, right? Yeah, and I think sometimes students, we focus a lot in get good grades. And yeah, kind of the education system forces us to do that as well. But for the other side, it's not, well, it's not either good for us and for the system because what is the system giving to the society, you know? Because they are forcing us to focus on our grades instead of really learning about the topic. Because, I mean, I have had a lot of times in which I am interested in the topics, but not really interested in the class itself. So I'm kind of like forced to do the work and do this assignment on or other things re- regarding with the class, but I'm not really interested in doing that. But yes, about uh, learning about the topic, but maybe by myself or things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think it's it's weird with, with that because the education system kind of, uh, forces you to to get good grades and punish you a lot mm-hmm. if you don't get them. Mm-hmm. I, I have seen that in, in, in one class <laughs> that um, I took in my first semester uh, at the Ozarks. Uh, I was doing really great and everything was fine until I got to a test. And my GPA from that, like my overall grade for, from that class, go got really low and after i did that it went low really fast but when i tried to like raise it again it was not the same so i don't understand how that works and why is it like that but yeah i mean and i ask students sometimes so so i'll ask you so think about the class and the grade you were most proud of in your time at Ozarks, where you you thought you earned it, this grade the most, is it an A? No, probably not. It's probably not. It's no. a class that you're like, it's, you know, I struggled this class. Yeah. And I worked really hard, and I got, you know, I have students that are thrilled with the A, right? Mm-hmm. But then I also have a big group of students that are like, I worked really hard for this B. This B means something. Yeah. And it's what I want. And then I also have groups of students that say, I worked really hard and I got a C and I passed the class and I was successful. Mm-hmm. I think we get into the habit of thinking that some person's success is there. Of course, there's a difference, right? You know, yeah. what they want to understand and what they want to do. But feeling that you earned that grade, I think, is important. And I hope my students think about that when they get their grades. Whatever it is, I earned that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Also, uh, now that we're talking about grades and everything, I wanted to ask you uh, um, about the topic that 
the mother was talking when she was here. Like, do you have rituals or things that you do when you prepare tests or things like that? I do. Um, and it's <laughs> and how they came about are kind of goofy, right? So I gave a test today and uh -huh. I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt, right? <laughs> it's pretty loud for me. Um, it's not something that I normally wear. Okay. Um, but I've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 or 15 years. Oh, wow. And it sort of happened not intent. There was no intent to this, right? I think if I remember back to when it, the first time it happened is I was teaching at another institution and we had like a rare, like, you know, you have that like really warm day in like mm -hmm. February or something, mm -hmm. right? And so we had a test day. It was this beautiful day. And I pulled out and I, was, and I had like one like sort of flowery shirt. And I was like, I'm going to wear that today, right? Just randomly. Yeah. And so I go and I give the test. Everybody kind of looks at me. And it was on a Friday. And then it was like, okay, you know, he's just wearing tests on. And what was really funny is the next test, it's like the class revolted because I didn't wear the same type of shirt. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was just shocking to me to be like, why do you all care what I wear, right? Because yeah. it doesn't make a difference. And so they asked. I was like, okay, I only have the one, so I'll wear it again. <laughs> and so over the years, I mean, now I have between half a dozen and a dozen of these shirts. Because and you have bought them just specifically for this? Bought them, been <laughs> gifts, and things like that. Where, <laughs> you know, um, They're just kind of funny shirts that yeah. I do. And The students like it. I think it. I think it takes some of the the pressure out. Um, we do have another ritual, and, and this one came about maybe oh seven or eight years ago. I was at a teaching conference, and we were talking about how, for a professor's perspective, when you give an exam and they go to turn it in, all the students walk up, and it's like they're going to a torture chamber or something, right? <laughs> they walk up and they slap their exam down and they mope back to their desk yeah. they throw all their stuff in the bag and they like <laughs> it just brings down everything it makes it a disaster yeah. you know it's a really terrible day to give an exam because everybody acts so poorly mm -hmm. right so um a colleague at this conference said oh i have the high five rule <laughs> you turn in your exam you give me a high five it's over it's done <laughs> so i adopted that because it's nearly impossible for a student not to smile with a professor wearing a goofy shirt and having to give them a high five, right? Yeah. And it changes the mood because even if they don't think they did well, you finish this test and there's something to be said for that, right? <laughs> smile, you know, and I get students that try not to smile, but it's impo it's nearly impossible not to. Because so they, all of them smile when, when they give you the high five? Because if not, I mean, if they do, you know, sometimes they'll have the ones where they, they won't do a high five and I'll hold my hand up really high. <laughs> right to where they have to and they're like well yeah. what if i don't give you a high five i say that's fine i just throw your test in the trash it's no, <laughs> big, <laughs> deal. no big deal right has what? someone refused a student refused to give you a high five no no would i throw it away maybe not but <laughs> the threat is always still yeah there, right um and so i think it allows them to sort of take a step out of their space and think yeah. of, okay this is this is not the end of the world this is one thing and this individual moment in the long run may or may not be relevant long term right yeah. so let's try to put it in its place not that tests aren't important my classes tell my students this my class is the only class that matters right <laughs> yeah so we do that and 
and I think it does help them, right? They do, even if they can smile a little bit, mm-hmm. even if they step out of the, in the hall and start to cry, which <laughs> in organic that happens, right? Mm-hmm. At least they have a chance to be like, okay, I can, I can be done with this and move on. So Hawaiian shirt and the high five rule, Aww. just a goofy thing, yeah. right? <laughs> did you have any professor that did something similar when you were studying? Um, my one of my chemistry professors at center, he would play music before the test, not during the test, but it would usually be something uplifting. <laughs> um, usually classical music, something mm-hmm. like um, "Flight of the Valkyries" by Wagner. You know, so this this <laughs> uplifting music. Um, but he was also fairly sarcastic, and some students say that must be that why I can be that way as well. Um, before our Gen Chem two final, he played. Um, a song by Tom Petty called Loser. And the chorus was, even a loser gets lucky sometimes. <laughs> Which was not uplifting at all for a bunch of undergraduates. Yeah. <laughs> but um, something I probably wouldn't do. But that sort of, it can it's all in how you take it. Like some mm-hmm. people, that was very distressing for them. For me, I was like, wow, that's really kind of funny, right? <laughs> Maybe I can relax and take this exam, right? Some yeah. people it wasn't, right? So depending on how you set it up. So there were things like that. But, it, you know, center was a school like this. You know, you knew all your professors. You had them multiple classes. You yeah. saw them on campus, in the cafeteria, around, you know, you saw them everywhere, right? Yeah. So you had <laughs> that relationship with them, whereas at a big school, sometimes you can feel like a number, right? Yeah, it's different when you are, like, in a big university where mm-hmm. you can get like that one-on-one relationship with the professors yeah i mean i've taught it at larger places i mean i did my uh, graduate work at michigan state university mm-hmm. which is about forty-five thousand. wow um so huge so i mean we would the person lecturing in the organic class it would be 270 students wow. right and so i mean you don't even just a sea of people um i've taught it i taught at grand valley State University in Michigan uh, mm-hmm. for a couple of years, and there I would teach classes of between 90 and 120, right? And a little different there because we had things called recitations where you would have an hour meeting with yeah. a small group, but still, even keeping everyone's name straight when you have 90 to 120 names, you every, don't, you can't uh, you, memorize them, right? You can't. I mean, some some people can. I had a hard time with it, um, but I'm more of a visual person. Um, I would know where they sat, right? Even in a big lecture hall, like, oh, you're like eight <laughs> rows back on this side, you know? Yeah. And and I tell students, even at a school like this, you know, if I have students now, I've been teaching long enough that like, I was in your class like 10 years ago. And I'm like, okay, we were in this room and you were on this side. I, I cannot remember your name, yeah. but where you were, if I can get a reference, that makes it easier. So you don't have that sort of relation. It's different, right? Yeah. But everything... I like to say everything has a cost, you know, good cost, bad cost, right? <laughs> yeah. and everything does. You've got to figure out what works for you. Yeah, that's true. Um, also about um, not only you have the job here, but you also have a life after the work is finished here. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to ask you, what do you do in your spare time in a normal weekend? Um, my wife and I, you know, I'm married. Um, no children, just our two dogs, mm-hmm. right? Um, we do... We do a lot of things. Um, it's been very different, you know, as we've gotten older in the last maybe ten years. But mm-hmm. um, we have season tickets to the symphony in Little Rock. 
Um, I live in Conway, so mm-hmm. I do commute every day, um, which wow. some people find shocking, right? I get yeah. a lot of wows, right? <laughs> um, so we go to the symphony, which is, you know, when I was an undergraduate, I, that would have never have been something I would have thought about doing, yeah. right? Um, but seeing live music like that. Um, we also get tickets to the Broadway series. Um, so just recently we saw, the last show we saw was um, the Legally Blonde musical. It was fun, right? Uh, we go to a lot of concerts. We go to movies. Um, we like to hike. We like to be out, out, out sore, outside. Uh, we also travel quite a bit. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the benefit of no children, right? You know, I mean, <laughs> that uh, last summer we did um, a river cruise down the Nile in Egypt. And then we went to Jordan um, to see Petra, right? So these big trips like that that are fun. It's just stuff that we like to do. And, you know, I read a lot. Um, yeah. The drive lets me read a lot, too, because I use Audible. So I listen to books. Oh, okay. So it helps me feel like the time is useful. And it also, um, I know some people think about the drive being, oh, that's so much time. But for me, it really helps because when I get in the car and I drive to work and listen Mm -hmm. to whatever I'm listening to, whether it's a book or music or podcast, you know, whatever it is, right? Um, By the time I'm at work, I'm ready to work. And then what's really beneficial for me is I get in the car and I'll listen on the way home. And by the time I get home, I can be done with work, right? You know, I can put something that was frustrating or (laughs) irritating or just tiring. And by the time I get home, I can have it. I can let it go. Yeah. Most, and I'm not going to say all the time. Most of the time I can, right? (laughs) There's sometimes when it still dwells on you. How long does it take for you to go from here to Conway? Um, It takes me about an hour and 10 minutes each way. Oh, wow. So I get through a lot of books. Yeah. Um, But my wife and I like, she is a CPA works for um, our best bank so what is cpa um certified public accountant okay so she works in the tax accounting section there so she works in little um we like living in conway because it's close to little rock so we can do those things that we like yeah the hiking the the shows the concerts right just bought concert we just bought tickets for two more shows coming (laughs) up right so uh we like to do that and you know go out with friends um even even we have things on the weekend like an average weekend, my wife and I sort of have a ritual where we all we go out to lunch every Saturday. Oh, really? Yeah, every Saturday. I mean, if we have a show or something, we'll go out to dinner instead. Mm-hmm. But um, if we don't have anything planned on that Saturday, we go out to lunch every single Saturday. That's and it's great. just sort of what we do. And then we may run some errands or maybe do yard work in the morning or something around that. But mm-hmm. um, I think we both have tried to really think, you know, Saturday I try not to work. Saturday, I try to, even if it's just do nothing and get up early and watch Premier League soccer or something like that all day, <laughs> even if it's that, I, I try to have that day for me. And if I have other work to do, maybe I'll do it Sunday afternoon, right? But I, I the older I've gotten, the more I've learned where I really kind of need that day to not think about work or think about this yeah. or think about, because we all do, you know, what they call endpoint analysis. You focus on the thing that irritated you the most at the very end, right? <laughs> and we dwell on that, right? Yeah. And that can be difficult. So having that, I think that's a big deal, you know. And playing with our dogs, you know, I walk my dogs. I try to work out. I get less <laughs> I get less returns for working out the older I've gotten. But, you know, <laughs> it's sort of essential to do. Yeah. Which countries have you visited? Um, 
We've been to, so my wife and I got married in Jamaica, so we did a destination wedding. Um, in college, we did, I did a semester in London. Oh, wow. um, so I was in London for 10 weeks. That's actually where my wife, even though we went, both went to this small school, mm-hmm. that's where we met and actually started dating was in London. Oh. So it was kind of a strange thing. Um, and then I've been to Europe um, quite a few times, right? Um, Paris a few times, you know. After the abroad trip, two friends, we did like the rail pass and staying in hostels and <laughs> 15 days around uh, the continent, which was fun. Um, again, shocking for students now. Yeah. <laughs> None of the three of us had a cell phone. Oh. So my parents not only didn't know what city I was in, most of the time they didn't know what country I was in. Yeah. <laughs> I would only email them at an internet cafe every so often. Um, so then we went back to Paris one time with my in-laws. We've done a couple of river cruises. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, Nuremberg to Budapest and then um, Amsterdam to Basel. So um, – Sort of our next big trips, I think we're, you know, because we've sort of neglected it. Our next big trips we want to try to think about doing is um, somewhere in Central or South America because we've never done that, right? And it's, You've never been in that area? No. Wow. I've never even been to Mexico. Right? <laughs> I've, I've, I've been to the only yeah. place in the Caribbean I've been is Jamaica. Um, this and summer. You got married there. <laughs> yeah. And we, we went back for our, um, our 10-year anniversary. Um, yeah. We'll probably go back pretty soon as well. Yeah. This summer we're doing a train trip in the Canadian Rockies. So hmm. from like Vancouver to Banff. So I think our next big trip, I, I've always wanted to do the, you know, the cruise where you go through the Panama Canal and stuff yeah. and you see everything on the sides. But it's one of these places that I, we keep meaning to go to. But with trips, the Egypt trip was the big one, you know, Egypt. Um, that's one we had been planning. We actually were supposed to go in 2020. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obviously yeah. didn't happen. So yeah. <laughs> then we we rescheduled it for the next year, which still didn't happen. And then the next year where we finally went, but that's, that was one of the bigger trips. Um, oh, we've also been to Iceland. We went to Iceland, oh. which was a lot of fun. <laughs> so it's, we try to travel a lot, you know, even if it's just in the U S or, yeah. or around. Cause there's, I think you really get to understand someone's culture when you go there. Mm-hmm. Or, like I, d- when I'm talking to you, you know, the benefit of Ozarks is we have such an international population. Yeah, um, that's true. One of the questions I always ask students, what's the best meal from <laughs> for you growing up? If you had to, so I can ask you, what's the, yeah. for Honduras, if you had to sum up for you, your entire culture into one meal, what would it be? I think the, a typical dish that we have is uh, refried beans, plantain, um, scramble eggs or things like mm-hmm. that and something that well it's chorizo but mm-hmm. it's like a type of meat mm-hmm. something like that I will say that is the most common and when I think about that it reminds me a lot of, about my childhood so mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like you eat it in the morning you eat it uh, for dinner it's really common to eat it and after that the baleadas for example baleada in english will mean like a person that got shot (laughs) 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 but it's uh basically a flour tortilla with refried beans scrambled eggs and you like just uh flip it like Mm -hmm. one side and uh the history behind the name of that is because 
Uh, one story says that uh, in the 60s, around that time, one woman in the north part of Honduras that was famous because she was uh, she she was doing th those uh, tortillas with those ingredients. She got shot one day, and after that, to refer to her uh, when you were going to eat her food, you will say, "Let's go to La Baleada. Let's go to the one that got shot." You yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> but that's one of the stories. Really, there's not like a uh, true story about that. <laughs> they're all true, right? Yeah, <laughs> they're all a lie. And yeah, true. yeah. I think you understand someone's culture with food. Yeah, it's a huge and. Food's something we all like. Yeah. You want to sit down and learn something about people. Sit down and have a meal with them, right? <laughs> and understand, okay, what does this mean to you, right? Yeah. You know? Have you visited the 50 states in the U.S.? Not all 50, but I've gone to a lot. Um, a lot in the Northeast. Um, a few out West. Sort of the ones in the middle I haven't been to as much. It's, you know, yeah. on the list you always have a, you know, when people talk about, oh, finishing their bucket list, if you ever finish your bucket list, you're, you don't have a very good imagination, right? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> there's always places, you know, yeah. you want to go back to. Um, and there's sometimes like, you know, when thinking about traveling, um, my wife grew up in Nashville, Tennessee. So, I mean, mm -hmm. when we go there, it's kind of funny. We don't, we don't do the touristy things. People are like, oh, have you been here? It's like, no, because we go there to, <laughs> you know, it's it's different when you go yeah. somewhere where someone grew up, right? You don't do the same things. So uh, we try to, I think that's one of the things um, when we try to do that. You know, ideally we had always said that we were going to say, oh, we'll do an international trip and then a national trip the next year. But yeah. it just sort of falls apart when it's like, oh, do you want to go do this? It's like, well, yeah, yeah, let's do that instead. So it's pretty yeah, <laughs> sort of and... random that we the way we do this yeah and well the the united states is a big country so every state is like a small country because mm -hmm. there are i think arkansas itself it's bigger than honduras you know yeah <laughs> so i mean it's understandable that it takes a long time to visit probably the 50 states or visit most of the country because it's really i, I think it's the third biggest country or uh. the second i think it's the second it's well, no, it's it's not as big, you know. You've got like Russia, and I think we I think when we look at maps, we see things like we get out of perspective, right? Yeah. Because the way the map is getting something round onto yeah. a flat surface, everything <laughs> uh -huh. gets stretched out. So it's it's probably in the top like fifteen to twenty, but mm. there are some countries like I think we forget like how big like Brazil is, yeah. how big China is. It looks different on the map. But you've seen those things where they put it like on top, and it's like, oh, those are yeah. those are really a lot closer. So, and e even growing up in Kentucky, there's a lot of places in Kentucky I've never been. I lived there for 22 years, right? Yeah. You know, because it's familiar. So it's like, why am I going to go do that? And somebody yeah. else is like, well, why why wouldn't you want to go do that? It's yeah, like, because it's right there. Yeah, you, know? you maybe when you're close, you don't appreciate as mm -hmm. much as other people that lives far away mm -hmm. uh, on that those places you know so it's yeah it's interesting because in, in Honduras I mean and in every country you you have like the beaches or the ruins in the mm -hmm. in the in in the areas and it's I, I haven't been to to the Bay Islands in Honduras yeah. for example <laughs> And a lot of people go there for, for vacation from all the world. 
So that's that's interesting. Also, I I wanted to ask you um, about the um, you you got married in Jamaica. Jamaica. Mm -hmm. Was there a reason for getting married there? Um. Well, when my wife and I were thinking about planning our wedding, right? Um, she grew up in Nashville, so she was going to have to. We're going to get married in Nashville. I come from a big family, mm -hmm. and we just the whole like planning part of it just seemed like it was like we're going to do all this stuff. Your dad's going to spend all this money. <laughs> and we couldn't think of, like, I think finally we looked at each other. This is something that we want. And I sort of threw it out, like, as a joke. Right? It's like, <laughs> what if we did a destination wedding? Mm -hmm. And my wife, Rachel, looked at me and goes, why not? And then we were both, like, sitting there looking, like, did we actually agree on this? Or, <laughs> and then we had to, and then it was like, okay, how do we tell How do we tell her parents and my parents at the time, right? Mm -hmm. And so we did, and they, her dad did the math, and it's like, well, it wouldn't be it'd be cheaper <laughs> than doing a big wedding and giving how many people there. Um, so only um, the resort we went to, we only had 19 people at our wedding, right? So my sisters and their spouses, um, my wife's, she has two younger sisters, and then mm -hmm. there was um, like one set of family friends, right? You know, it was like, And we told people like, if you want to come, you can come. But this is what we're doing. <laughs> and we had like a we had a couple parties in Nashville and in my hometown for okay. people. Um, but they were more like casual thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was a little more, you know. My wife's family, um, her family friends, they threw like a, a big shower where everybody came, and then and mine, we had like a cookout in the backyard. So it was like, so we did that, and it was it's actually really nice. Um, And then after the wedding, everybody left, and my wife and I stayed at the resort we were at. So we had, like, a built-in yeah. honeymoon as well. So it's one of those things that was so much less stressful. Like, we chose a resort from with some help from a travel agent. And then mm -hmm. uh, we got there and had, like, a 25-minute meeting with the party person at the resort. Mm -hmm. And we went to a small resort, so there were only, like, We were the only wedding that weekend, right? So there were only like a, maybe a hundred rooms or something like that. So small, small resort too. So okay. it wasn't like a, a big huge thing. So we we talked to the the preacher who <laughs> married us, um, <laughs> and our marriage license is from Jamaica. It's got like flowers and wow. birds and stuff all over it, right? It's it looks it, it actually we keep meaning to frame it because it's like this is a lot prettier than a lot yeah. of stuff we have, right? <laughs> And so it was uh it was nice because um it's not something that I thought my parents or my dad especially I didn't think he, I didn't know if he would but he really had like a lot of fun. He doesn't really mm -hmm. like the water or the beach and stuff, but he okay. like walked around and talked to people and like talked <laughs> to the staff which he loved. So I mean it was it was kind of a cool thing to yeah. but it was for us. Some people want something different. I think for us we didn't know what we wanted and then we were like this is definitely what we want. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it feels like an exotic way of getting married. So how do you get more exotic? Because usually the exotic part is the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you get more than that after that? So Well, I mean, it was, everybody else left, right? So yeah. we, were, we were just there and, you know, our, our honeymoon was, you know, I think we were there like maybe three or four nights after that. So we just sat around. Yeah the beach and we did some of the touristy things around Jamaica we were in Ocho Rios so we did like uh, 
Dunn's River Falls or this big set of waterfalls that you can walk up because they're sort of sloping. Yeah. And then we went to, we had a drive through like the rainforest part. And then, but most of the time we <laughs> ate and sat at the beach. Yeah. And wow. So it was, it was neat. Um, when we went back 10 year for our 10 year anniversary, it was <laughs> people are my family and her family are like, well, how was it? Was it the same? I was like, the only difference was they had Wi-Fi. <laughs> That was the, really? only, the only thing that was different. And it was like, and I don't really care that they had Wi-Fi, right? Yeah. The food was just as good. The beach was great, you know. But it's a, there's two types of vacations, I think. There's the vacation where you need to relax like mm-hmm. that. You go to the beach and you go to the beach, right? Yeah. And then we also do vacations where you go and you you do stuff, right, the yeah. whole time. Like, um, like we went to Yosemite, right? We hiked like 50 miles in a week. So you go to see stuff and do stuff. When we went to Iceland, it was the same way. You, it's like every day you drive somewhere and you go around, you look at it, right? Mm-hmm. But then you have sometimes a vacation to relax too. Right? Yeah. So you didn't have a lot of interaction with locals during the two visits that you did? Um, not as much. I mean, more so than the staff, right? Because it mm-hmm. wasn't one, you know, I think it would be interesting to go to Jamaica and start to see sort of that. But the type of vacation we were on, we just wanted – it was – or vacation where we needed to eat. to disconnect and yeah, just relax a, not check email not do yeah. things right <laughs> you know not worry about you know when, when we went back I mean you get up and you go to breakfast and then you go to the beach until lunch and then you eat lunch <laughs> and then go back to the beach and then you take a shower and you have dinner and you go to bed right I mean, yeah. <laughs> rinse and repeat the next day so sometimes it, I would like to go and sort of see that you know see the, the different part because I think sometimes there's a lot of people that travel a lot, but they don't see where they go. Mm-hmm. And we try to more so see what you see where you go, because that's the interesting part to me. Yeah. You know, this is the interesting parts that I like about the this podcast and bringing guests, because it's, I mean, it's, it's surprising to know more about the life of mm-hmm. every person and every professor or uh, member of, the Ozarks or the community that comes here so um, it's incredible to to meet more about the personal life that maybe you don't talk a lot mm-hmm. um, about but uh, I also want to know more about your professional life as well mm-hmm. and the first question I wanted to ask you is how did you end up being here at Ozarks? Um, that's a so after I got my PhD mm-hmm. you know I did a um, I didn't know what I, when I started my PhD, I didn't think I wanted to teach. I thought I wanted to go to industry and stuff. And yeah. very soon learned that's not, not where my skill set lied. But I didn't want to go to a big school and teach there. So I taught, I said at Grand Valley uh, for three years. Um, but that's about 25,000 students, right? And it just wasn't a great fit for me. Um, then I got a job at Arkansas Tech, mm-hmm. right? And I worked there for about six years. And Realized it wasn't the fit for me either. It's a small sort of regional institution. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't really feel like I was doing that, the liberal arts thing that I, the part of my education that was really important to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, when I was at Tech, I would teach Organic One, Organic Two, Survey of Chemistry, and maybe one other co- course every so often, right? Mm-hmm. So it was very regimented, and I taught the same things. and. Then the opportunity came here, and I didn't realize that I wasn't that great of a fit 
at tech until I decided to take the job here, right? You know, sometimes you don't realize you're unhappy somewhere and because it's it's what you've been doing, right? Yeah. You get sort of in that rut. And so coming here, you know, um, I started out as, you know, it's a little bit of a risk taking a visiting professorship, you know, and one of the things that's sort of scary about teaching here but also fun is the variety I have to teach, right? You know, when I go to conference and I tell other chemists the classes I teach, they usually hmm. kind of laugh because they think I'm joking, right? <laughs> Because I teach, you know, I'm an organic chemist by training. Um, mm-hmm. I teach organic one, organic two, but here I teach biochem, genchem one, quantitative analysis, polymers, <laughs> um, spectral analysis, top professional top or professional prep, you know, biochemistry. Right? You teach this wide variety that sort of changes how you view the system, right? So, yeah. And I really like that. Um, I think this is this is the kind of place where my skill set really comes in because I have the freedom to do things that I want to do, right? Yeah. Do you have, from all those classes that you mentioned you teach here, do you have any, like, favorite or less favorite? Well, sure. I mean, as an organic chemist, I always love teaching organic. I find it, you know, I find it challenging. Students find it challenging. It's, <laughs> you know, uh, it's definitely one of the favorites. Um, <laughs> least favorite probably is quantitative analysis, okay. right? It's an analytical class. This is the this is the one that people find funny. You know, the organic chemist teaching quantitative analysis is usually it's like a big joke, right? It's like really, <laughs> right? Because it's all a matter of perspective. You know, I've had students that have been in both classes at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, if I tell them weigh a hundred milligrams in organic, that means very something very very different than if I say weigh a hundred milligrams in quant. <laughs> in organic, it's like. 90 to 110, yeah, whatever, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. In quantitative analysis, whether it's 99.987 or 101.236, that's important, right? Yeah. So it's that level of specificity. So I don't, I have to do things to make it more interesting for me as well. Because <laughs> I tell students in that class, I was like, listen, I know I find this course boring and tedious and frustrating but that doesn't mean it's not important mm-hmm. and because I find it that way I'm never going to have the same passion teaching that class as I do organic right yeah but I find ways to do it and um, so the last time I taught it we read a book um, called Bad Blood about the Theranos scandal <laughs> right um, and we talked about how it was a it was a biotech company that said they could do a bunch of stuff and couldn't do any of it okay right so we had discussions about okay why did people believe this was plausible and mm-hmm. it was just funny because students would come in after reading the book and be like dr hart how on earth did they get money for this there's no way any of this would work i'm like i know but they didn't ask scientists they asked investors right yeah. so we talked about that to make it a little more interesting for me right <laughs> it, and hopefully for them Yeah, I don't know how chemistry labs work. I'm a communication major, you yeah. know. But uh, what type of things do you do in your labs? Um, we do. A, it, it's really course dependent, right? You know, mm-hmm. in Gen Chem, you're doing a lot of a lot of stuff. In Gen Chem, is like demo stuff. Like, okay, here's a concept we learned in class. Mm-hmm. Let's do something like like density. You know, you can go to the joke, will it float or will it not float in water, right? <laughs> and really, we talk about that. And mm-hmm. it's sort of that demo stuff that we do. Um, 
like organic one and two are really different. You know, mm-hmm. organic one, I think sometimes students get frustrated with the lab because it doesn't connect to the class. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is they don't know enough organic chemistry to do anything in lab. And they don't know enough technique in lab to do anything that they know how to do, right? <laughs> okay. So it's like that catch-22, right? Yeah. So in organic one, the first two-thirds to three-fourths of the class, okay, here's a technique. We're going to learn to be proficient at it, right? Mm-hmm. Technique one, technique two. And then then at the end of the term, we'll do real experiments close to what we've done in class. But we're using maybe three or four of those techniques that we learned before, previous. Mm-hmm. So something that took them three hours to complete oh initially <laughs> takes about 30 minutes, right, later. Because it's a skill set. Yeah. And then in Organic 2 is where I think it's a little more fun. Then you can connect it to the class. So mm-hmm. we make um, an amp pheromone. Uh, we make luminol, so they make light. You okay. know, chemoluminescence. <laughs> yeah. um, we, do, we make dyes and dye fabrics to see how they how the dyes will affect different fabrics and things. Oh, okay. So that stuff's kind of fun. Um, yeah. You know, and other classes have different labs. You know, quant, a lot of it's about measuring accurately. So <laughs> that's why it can be tedious, right? Not you know, not going 0.00001 more yeah. than you need. <laughs> well, yeah, or, or if you do, you've got to account for that and then change your calculation to make sure you account, you know. So that kind of stuff is, is yeah. fun. So labs... Lab is uh, one of those things where we, we talk about um, active learning and being dynamic. Right? You can't get more active learning than lab because you have to yeah. you have to do it. You have to yeah. mix stuff and and I think too students get really caught up in organic especially they get really caught up. Oh my yield was ten percent today. I was like okay, <laughs> some days that's a great day, right? <laughs> did you and and I, I sometimes look at them. Did you get enough to analyze product? Mm. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do you know why you got it wrong? No. Do you? No. I don't know what you did wrong, right? Yeah. There's too many ways to mess this up, right? But you've got to think about what that is. Yeah. So that's how lab is. But it, it, it's the same skill set I think you use in your communications class. You have lab. T- I mean, this is a lab, yeah. right? This is a lab type stuff. Lab is ma- maybe the way to call something like um, infield practice, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be the same thing, and you're yeah. using the same sort of problem-solving skills, mm-hmm. and you know, you're learning technique, but technique on how to set up a podcast, on yeah. how to edit video—that's mm-hmm. a similar thing. Yeah. And I think sometimes we lose sight of that. We think of science as science, social science as social science, humanities as humanities, but the skill sets overlap, and I think that's what a liberal arts education really helps us with. Yeah. What will you say is the weirdest or maybe most exotic lab you have in any of your classes? Um, the one that students talk about the most probably is going to be the Luminol Lab hmm. making light. It's the only lab where, um, you know, you turn off the lights and you have to mix two things and it either glows or it doesn't glow, right? <laughs> yeah. It's very definitive. So it's the only lab where I've seen students get really upset when it doesn't work. And it rarely happens, right? But, you know, they're like, did you pour those two things together? Yes. <laughs> it's like, everyone's like, well, let's talk about why this didn't work, right? Yeah. Um, that one, and I think the Azo dies because we have, we have these fabric strips that have different types of fabric, you know, cotton, silk, nylon, polyester, you know, mm. all these different types of things. And each student makes their own dye. A different one 
okay. using the technique. So they're like, what does yours look like? I was like, why do you think <laughs> it should look the same? Yeah. It's different, right? Yeah. And then they dye the fabric and they pull it out and have to decide, okay, why did these fabrics hold on to the color, but the other ones didn't? Mm -hmm. So I think those are the ones I think students find the most memorable and organic, wow. right? Because they're, they're things that they know that can happen, right? Um, like, yeah. and, and it's also a way to see this sort of visually, right? In the chemoluminescence mm -hmm. uh, lab, what is the rate of failure for it? <laughs> Usually less than one group a year. So it's really completes it. No, no, oh, less uh, fails. Yeah, okay. less than one group a year. Okay. It, and now, how many groups are? There's in usually average. eight groups in a lab. Oh, okay. You know, so usually it's less than one. You know, usually everybody gets some light. Now sometimes you'll get some people that's like a little glow and it's gone. Yeah. But they don't care, right? <laughs> as long as there's any light, they get excited, right? Yeah. And some students, theirs will last maybe five minutes, right? And they're like, okay, can we turn the lights back on and get back to work? They're like, no, no, how long is it going to go, right? And I'm like, <laughs> okay, right, we'll wait. Um, so that's the one where they, you know, and usually the ones that, that messed it up is because they didn't read. Mm. And they mixed the wrong things at the wrong time. You know, yeah. it's it's something they can definitively find out. It's like, okay, I screwed this up <laughs> because of this. Yeah. But at least they get to see everybody else, you know. Again, this year when we did it, all the groups made light. Oh, Okay. So that's is it really hard to to make it work? No. So if you really don't do it, is because you really mess it up. Yeah. I mean, well, you got to think about the techniques in these mm -hmm. labs. All the labs, whether they say whether they agree with me or not, are things that should be high yielding and fairly elementary for a student to do. Right. Um, sometimes I get students that insist, "Oh, this lab's not working. It's not going to work." And when I've had them be when they've done this for long enough, I'm like, fine, mm -hmm. give me 30 minutes. Don't talk to me. And I'll run the whole lab in 30 minutes and get product. And they're like, well, what yield do you get? I was like, oh, I didn't do very well. I got 85%, <laughs> you know, but it sort of shows them the difference between knowledge and experience. Mm -hmm. And I have students sometimes will watch me as I'm doing it. They're like, well, why are you doing it that way? I was like, because I know it works this way. Yeah. How do you know that? It's like, well, I've done this. <laughs> A thousand Crazy. times, right? Um, and that's also something that you have to sort of put yourself back in that position and not remember. So um, like in my quant class, when we were still teaching in the she shed, mm -hmm. the, the chemistry she shed before the building was done, yeah. um, they were taking crucibles, so these ceramic dishes, and they had to heat them up to dry them and then cool them back down and weigh them and then heat them up and dry them, you know, a couple of times. Yeah. And they were brand new. And they broke two of them, like, in the first 30 minutes of lap. I'm like, oh. guys, what are you doing, right? And these are junior and senior level students. So they're like, we don't know. We're following the instruction. And they break <laughs> another one. And I walk and I put both hands on the bench. I'm like, what on earth are you? And then I sit there and wait a minute. Because I put my hands on the bench and the benches are cold. Oh. What happens when you put something hot on something cold? It, it breaks. It breaks. Yeah. yeah. So, and they were like, I was like, guys, did you all put these directly back on the bench? Well, yeah. And I was like, oh. Um. And, then, and then they all see where my hands are, and they all, like, slowly put their hands on. <laughs> oh, Dr. Hart, this is really cold. This was really dumb. And one of them goes, but you didn't tell us that. I was like, guys, I can't remember to tell you not to do something like that, right? Yeah. That's lab technique and thinking it through. 
now that you all see that, they're like, oh, what we should have done is put something up and then put it on a drying rack and then put it, you know. Yeah. But it, it, it was good for me, too, because I was like, what on earth are you all screwing up, right? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm about to get irritated at him. Right? I was like, these things are not cheap, right? But then when we do that, we all got a good laugh at it. I was like, and they're like, well, how can you, why didn't you tell us that? And I'm like, I, <laughs> I can't think of all the ways you can screw this up, right? Yeah. You know, um, after doing these labs every year and repeating them year by year, do you get bored at some point or it's always like, wow, uh, it's great? I think some of them, I mean, there's some that are boring, right? Some of the technique labs, mm -hmm. um, Like all labs you can do, there are hundreds of different ways to approach things, yeah. right? And I've changed them some semester to semester and sometimes. But there's some labs like the technique labs. Mm -hmm. Teaching them how to do this technique, I'm not going to be able to reinvent the wheel to make something, you know, this has been done for, this technique is, you know, 200 years old. Yeah, It's still very important. And we've kind of mastered the way to teach it, right? You know, and, and I hate, and some people are like, oh, you can always, it's like, well, I don't know how you improve this lab. So those, I'm always like, okay, guys, we're going to do that. <laughs> those, I don't have as much, you know, it, it's harder because the funny part, the stuff that changes yeah. is watching the students sort of try to do it the first time. And I'm like, okay, why are you doing that? <laughs> and it's one of the things that I do and with our international population It's the only time I make this rule. I'm like, in lab, everybody can only speak English. Because mm -hmm. if you are speaking a language I don't understand, you become a danger to me. <laughs> right? Because I yeah. can walk around and hear, and I'll hear, and I, and I just sort of stand and listen, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa what did you just say you're going to do? Right? Yeah. And, and seeing that, so yes, there's some parts that gets boring, but it's the, the change, you know. <laughs> students approach it and they have a different question or I'm yeah. like or I'm, I'm waiting for them to, so I'll put something up and be like okay what do you think that's going to happen here and I'm like thank you for telling me the wrong answer right because <laughs> everyone always does this is why it's wrong okay. right wrong answers are instructive right answers are boring mm -hmm. what's the most dangerous lab that is available here for students or the one that has materials or chemicals that can hurt you badly I mean, it, organic is probably the most dangerous sequence on campus not because the stuff is the most dangerous mm -hmm. it's because you have the start of real chemicals and students with the least experience yeah right so that's that's the way it goes um some of the quant labs are ones that are probably the most dangerous there's one where we We didn't do it in the in the chemistry she shed because I wasn't willing to do the lab and it wasn't <laughs> safe in there. Um, but there's something called a Kendahall degradation, where one of your reagents is a 50% by weight sodium hydroxide. So 50% mm -hmm. by weight, um, for lack of a better term, that's flesh melter, right? It um. would it, it it you have to store it in plastic because it it would eat through glass. Oh wow. So it's it's very it can be very dangerous, mm -hmm. right? But those students have had the gen chem sequence, the organic sequence, and probably another lab too. So their level of experience, it's not as dangerous, even though the chemicals are higher concentration and more dangerous than the organic lab. Because the organic lab it's and 
students will tell me, I was like, oh, are you mad then, Dr. Hart? And I was like, no. <laughs> the only time I get, you've seen me get really angry at you all is when you've done something lab in lab and you could have hurt, hurt yourself or someone else mm-hmm. for not paying attention, right? That's when you'll see me get upset. <laughs> Most of the time, if you mess up, everybody messes up. But if you mess up, because of not paying attention. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and most of the most of the things, you know, that, that's always the question. What's the most dangerous thing? It's like, well, yeah. if we follow the rules, hot things burn and sharp <laughs> things cut. Yeah, it solves most of ours because we try to create a culture of safety. That's why we have goggles. That's why we have the way you have to dress. Mm-hmm. That's why we've in- instituted the lab coats. Right, everybody. It's a culture of safety. So yeah. You know, students are like, Dr. Hart, I broke this. I was like, okay, did you cut yourself? No. Did you clean it up? Not yet. <laughs> Go do it, right? Yeah. You know, I mean, if they spill something, I was like, okay, what'd you spill? Mm-hmm. And then there's sometimes I'm like, if you spill between these steps, I need to know, right? Because we've got to do it differently. Yeah. If you spill sometime else, let me know and we'll clean it up, right? So. Mm-hmm. Have you had like any accident or students that have hurt them? Um, in your classes? Not not significantly. I mean, burns, you know, hot things burn, sharp things cut. So I've never had – I have had students that had to use the eye wash. Um, but that's mainly – the main reason students use the eye wash is they get something on their hands, and they take that hand, and they put it under their goggles and warp, rub their face. Oh. Right? Yeah. So <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. I'm, I'm usually saying do not touch your face and laugh, right? You know, um, I've never had to have a student – thank goodness use the safety shower i've never had a major injury um and i'd like to think that's because that goes back to that culture of safety other than you cut your finger right i I don't even think i've ever had a student have to get stitches from a cut right Mm. which is and in grad school i mean that stuff like that happened right you know a friend of mine got second degree burns on her arms because something flared Mm -hmm. and it happened you know those things happen a little bit more on a graduate level because you're using you're sort of at the edge yeah the safety that we can and, and that's why i talk about safety so much and that's why we have that all of these things that are set up and that's also why it's the only time i said you know everyone has to speak english yeah and, and i try to do it too because in lab that's where they get to really know their classmates that's where i get to know them because mm-hmm. there's downtime and you've probably seen this as diverse as our population is on campus, we can be a little clicky, right? Yeah. These students from this country hang out. These students from this county hang out, right? Yeah. And so I walk around, and I'm like, okay, what are you doing, right? You know, you know, and, and I get sometimes students like, well, we were speaking French, but we were talking about movies. I was like, well, you don't think they like movies? <laughs> they could like songs, right? Yeah. You know, and, that, and, and that's the only time. And I've had people like, oh, is that really – you know, inclusive. And I was like, well, in lab, yes. Mm-hmm. Outside of lab, whatever language you're comfortable in, you know, go ahead, right? Mm-hmm. But in lab, we all need to have that sense of community and can talk to each other. They can listen to each other and be like, what are you doing? Right? You know? <laughs> you have to make sure that they are doing the the right things. And, and they learn from each other, right? Mm-hmm. And they get to know each other and be comfortable with each other. As well. Yeah. Especially the first term, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I think it's important the safety part because uh once uh Muffer was doing um reading an article and i got really interested about it and it was article? yeah i i saw how the the 
finger got born and it was crazy mm. how something can do something like that to to your your skin you know yeah just a small amount of that chemical under the mm -hmm. skin and the story for that is they did it and didn't realize it so they didn't treat it then oh. so it waited its time as well right you know Even that really bad chemical, the mm -hmm. 50% sodium hydroxide, if you got a little on yourself, if you immediately go to the sink and wash, yes, you might get a slight chemical burn, but you're probably going to be fine, right? Have you had any chemical burn? Uh, yeah. Um, surprisingly, the worst chemical burn I had was working on the farm. Oh, <laughs> really? Yeah. Um, With uh, we what? which chem chemical? Um, so tobacco plants. So you know how tomato plants grow suckers? That from the from the stems, another plant will grow from mm -hmm. the edge of the stem. Tobacco does the same thing. So you've got to um, either pull them off or use a chemical to keep them from growing, right? Mm -hmm. That chemical can be a little caustic, so you use a backpack sprayer. Oh, okay. So it's a, you know, five, six gallons of, of liquid yeah. on a backpack sprayer, and you have a little a nozzle. So um, one year I was doing it, I was probably 14, 14 or 15, and the lid got cross-threaded, mm -hmm. right? It didn't get on correctly. So I'm walking, so it splashed out, and it went down my shoulders. So by the time I got to the end of the row, I had to get water things, and I've got a little bit of a scar on one shoulder oh, from really? the chemical burn. So I had wow. to go, you know, we luckily we had a lot of water, so doused myself with water, and then we went to my grandmother's house and for lunch, and I took a shower, and she washed my clothes, and then, wow. you know... So that's the only real chemical burn that I've really had was on that. I mean, other normal stuff, you know, I've had to use an eye wash station. Um, I've never had to use a shower, thank goodness, because it's... Yeah, that's, that means that it's a more serious situation, right? Yeah, a shower means you've spilled enough of something on yourself. You need to stand under the shower for 15 minutes. and you have 15 to minutes? What? And you have to remove all your clothing, right? So you're in the middle of a hall. Yeah. So it's... <laughs> But... You know, You evacuate everyone, right? So <laughs> the Ideally, only person. Right. That <laughs> yeah. So I mean, I've had to use I've had to use an eye wash station, you know. But and again, it's just the culture of safety, you know. I've, I've had things go wrong. I've had glassware explode on me and things like that. Mm -hmm. But it's also I had it explode. It was in the hood. The shade was down. So when it broke and the pieces went everywhere, yeah, I got a few little cuts, like maybe on my arm mm -hmm. or something. But again, it's that culture of safety that you have to do if if you. Talk to a chemist that's had a really has a history of bad accidents. It makes you kind of question why they're doing. It, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I I also wanted to highlight something that you do here on campus, and that's uh, you have a book club, right? Mm -hmm. I do. Uh, could you explain more about what is it the club about and what types of uh, books you read? Okay, so it's a it's called it's generic name science book club. Um, so it got started because I use books in my classes mm -hmm. sometimes so the upper level ones more so like the quantitative analysis class we said we read that theranos book um in my biochemistry class we read two books mm -hmm. right we read the gene machine about um vinky ramakrishnan won the nobel prize for crystallizing the ribosome why i use that one in that class it teaches them crystallography better than i can hmm. right and it gives them sort of that sort of cultural ethical aspect and then we also read James Watson's The Double Helix right and we there's we watch a documentary and we talk about ethical and moral issues and th some of the things he, he said but 
I read a lot, and there's all these other books that I think undergraduates would benefit from reading and mm-hmm. discussing, but they never could. I couldn't find a way to fit them into a class, right? Yeah. Instead of, and I didn't want to like shoehorn. Oh, I just it's a Gen Chem class. Here, read this book that doesn't <laughs> doesn't relate. Yeah. So a couple of years ago, so this is the fourth semester we've done it. I got the university to give us a little money, enough to buy the books. Because mm-hmm. it's one of the benefits of it. They buy it. They get to keep the book if you do it. So um, it's myself, and I have two other professors, one from each lens. Okay. Um, Dr. Ardno has been in it the whole time and from the English department. And um, originally we had Dr. Daniel Young mm. before she left. And we this semester we've had um, Dr. Fudge, Daniel Fudge, both okay. in political science. So we read a book. We meet three times a semester and we discuss it, right? And it's it's a science book club, so they are science based. Okay. Um, we don't really have. I've not been as successful at this of trying to get some people outside of chemistry and biology mm-hmm. in the book club, mainly because I don't bump into the, that many people <laughs> that way, right? Yeah. Um, so we usually have about ten students. And for me, what's impressive is they these 10 students read an extra book a semester for no credit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's shocking, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so the first book we read, um, it was called The Code Breaker um, by Walter Isaacson. And he wrote about Jennifer Donya, who did CRISPR. She won the Nobel Prize. It's this gene editing mm-hmm. um, technique. But it also, the last... Oh, 20% of the book is about COVID. So we read it right as COVID was happening. So I'll never get a t- another more timely book. Yeah, And it's nice because the students talk and they, ch- I try to let them run the discussion, you know, and uh, Dr. Fudge or Dr. Young and Dr. Ardno and I, we sit and we, we talk and that's, what's hard for us as professors. Cause we want to talk about it too. Yeah. So we have to like bite our tongue and be like, okay, let them talk. Right. Yeah. You know? <laughs> to keep the conversation going. So we read that. Um, We had a great discussion, so I thought I'd do it again. And the next year we read um, Sapiens, A Brief History of Humankind. And so someone talking about the way humans developed. Is it really, Mm. it's science, but it wasn't chemistry, which is fine. Yeah. And we had a lot more spirited arguments in that one, which was fun, right? Because it was a, my opinion on it, it wasn't a great book, but it was a great book club book. Okay. And then last fall, we did Phosphate Rocks, A Death in Ten Items. <laughs> and it was more like a murder mystery, but it went through the chemistry and the science. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this semester, we've read the sequel to Sapiens, Homo Deus. Oh. So. You see that better book than, than the No, it's worse. <laughs> I think it's oh, worse. really? <laughs> but it's still a good book club book, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Ardno has a different opinion which is great nobody's right you know, there's yeah. no right to this um and i think it's really nice because we um and i have them write before every meeting to participate in the book club going mm-hmm. forward i have them write what i call a three two one yeah three things they learned two things they found interesting and one question just to spur discussion yeah and then at the end of the semester and i started this last last term um they have to write up you know half a page to a page how did the book club augment your education taking into account your major and your two minors? Is this Lindsay enough for us, right? <laughs> and I think we do that. And I, and I find that students really like, like the discussion and the incentive of getting to keep the book. Mm-hmm. It seems so trivial 
but it's it's kind of a neat thing, right? Oh, you get this nice book, and yeah. I read it, and you know, I get they say, oh, I was reading this book, and a friend asked me, what are you reading that for, and what's it about? And I'm like, it's for book club, and they're like, what? You yeah. don't have to read it, <laughs> right? And and not everybody can show up for every meeting, and it, it's still something that's sort of fun mm-hmm. and that we do. And if they can't show up, then as long as they do the other assignments. I'll let them back in the next time, right? Yeah. So uh, for a student to be part of your club, it has to be from chemistry majors or? No. I, how's the process to get in the club? It's <laughs> just me. <laughs> people ask, you know, uh, people that are interested. Um, you know, this year we have one student from who is a student I knew because she was in my Ozark experience class and mm. she's a business philosophy major. So she, she had a different perspective. And it's really just sort of word of mouth because it's not that I guess you know four yeah. semesters I don't know if that's that old or not um, but we have some students I probably have probably got two or three students that have been in it every semester right mm-hmm. and so they're like oh I'm going to graduate we won't be in book club I don't want to hear about what you read because I can't read it with you I was like well <laughs> you can read it too right yeah. um, I do give sort of first like go to my chemistry majors right you know I'm a chemist Yes. <laughs> but I always have Dr. Ardno and Dr. Fudge. I was like, if you if you have a student that would get in here, I usually just order however many books the money they give me gives me, and that's how many people are in the book club, right? Yeah. So, so you have your limits as well. It's not like you can have a lot of people. No, because I think if we got too much bigger than about 10, 10 to 15 students, you all stop talking mm. because the group's too big, right? Yeah. If it's too small, like, I've had professors ask, well, can I be in the book club too? I'm like, well, no, because if we get too many professors, you all stop talking to, right? The point is not for the professors to talk about it. The point is for students to talk about it. And we have fun. I mean, the only, you know, one student, Carlos, only comes because I always bring donuts. (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) Yeah. I bring donuts. He reads the book, right? He reads the book. (laughs) Right, it's a joke. He he likes the book yeah. too, but the donuts are a big selling factor as well, right? Yeah. You know, even I have been a benefit from the, the extra donuts. donuts, the extra donuts, because yeah. I, I just give them to the students that are going to do that. Yeah. And I think it, it really helps. You know, we we think about these learning objectives we have for the university. Mm-hmm. You know, the one that's hard to to sort of assess is yeah. the one that's about, um, oh, how does this interact with your the world and morals and ethics yeah. the book club makes it easy right and yeah. and I get students like Dr. Hart I've got so much to do I'm not going to come to meetings like okay it's <laughs> this is this is this is something that should be fun if yeah. it's stressful maybe you shouldn't do it right mm-hmm. do you have already planned what's the next next book uh, yeah I think so um, they're going to get mad at me because it's a book I've already read they get really <laughs> upset The, the first the first book I'd already read, so they would talk, and they're like, what do you think, Dr. Hart? I was like, I've, I've already finished the book. I'm not going to talk about mm-hmm. that, right? I'll talk about what we're talking about. So I think we're going to read um, American Prometheus about J. Robert Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. He was the head of um, the Manhattan Project. Yeah. And there's all the, you know, the Red Scare issues that happen. So I think we can talk. There's also a movie coming out at the end of the summer with um, – Christopher Nolan and Cillian Murphy's playing Oppenheimer. So, oh, really? Yeah. So maybe. Oh, yeah. I think I have heard about that. So I think we'll read. I think we'll read that one, and it's more of like a biography, mm-hmm. right? But it's 
very steeped in science and culture and things like that. So it's a little longer, but for yeah. a semester. And then uh, maybe next spring we'll probably read something called Poison Squad. You read one book per semester, right? One per semester, right? I mean, I would like to do more, but I, I understand the limits, right? Yeah. I mean. They're not going to read as many as I do, right? How do you think, uh, how you've thought about doing it, like, for credit? Or do you think it will change the dynamic? Of I think it would. I, I think this is this is one of these things that um, is co-curricular, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the ones that I use for credit are ones that I find that fit into class, like the double helix, like, you know bad blood for those yeah. and they really fit in and they augment how the class is you know it would be hard to have a one hour class that's just a book club right because yeah. i mean at best it could be what pass fail right <laughs> either read it or you didn't right yeah and then it and i think for the students then it's it's not as fun because it's a class and it's more pressure mm -hmm. and hopefully i think the book club now is something that's fun i mean i've had a student be like dr hart i don't like to read why am i going to be in this and then in the semester it's like well i like the books you choose it's like well maybe you like to read yeah you just choose bad books sometimes <laughs> right yeah yeah that's true all right so uh we're going to the final part okay. of the interview and the last part is always kind of a dynamic that i have uh with the guests mm -hmm. so i will ask you short phrase or one word answers uh mm -hmm. on different questions and i'll modify a little bit with you this this section but the first one is favorite color blue blue why um I would, uh, I would guess that it's probably from working outdoors so much when I was looking up. Yeah, that's my favorite color, too. What is the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? First thing I do is I, I take my levothyroxine, right? Okay. I, I have to take a med uh, some medication, but um, frustratingly for my wife, growing up on a farm, when I wake up in the morning, I'm as, as awake as I'll be for the rest of the day. <laughs> I am a, a morning person, so when I open my eyes, I'm up for the whole day. Wow. Even without drinking coffee or anything? Yeah. I still drink coffee, but caffeine doesn't have a big effect on me. Okay. I just like it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, religion? Um, I would say I grew up Christian, but I've sort of gotten disenfranchised with organized religion. Mm -hmm. um, I think, uh, and I think from a liberal arts perspective, I did... I know a lot of people in different religions, and we and we actually had to take religion classes in my school as well. Yeah. So, uh, I guess what it is, um, a deity I would believe in would not be as narrow-minded as organized religions make it. So mm -hmm. I think they're all kind of the same. They're just like different perspectives on it. So yeah. I think we get caught up in the details instead of the you know what you're what you're getting out of it, right? Yeah, that's true. Uh, what is your favorite time of the year? Time, favorite time of the year? Um, I've always liked fall. Fall. Why? Well, it's um, <laughs> probably growing up on the farm, fall is when things slowed down and it wasn't <laughs> as hot. But um, I don't know. The colors, you have those nice fall days where, you know, yeah. for me, I'm pretty warm natured. So 70, you know, 60, yeah. 70 degree day is a lovely day. You can hike a little bit more. You can, you can hike for longer and stuff. But I guess I've always liked fall. Yeah, you know that there's a trend uh, for fall. <laughs> Everyone mm -hmm. likes mm -hmm. fall. When when I ask this question, I always get uh, fall as an answer. Yeah, right? it's pretty. Uh, what makes you angry? What makes me angry? Um, 
<laughs> tried. I, I don't know if I'm trying to think of too many things or not enough things. Um, not being reasonable about things, right? You know, I, and I think this is what we've gotten to with, you know, we can talk about politics and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I tell students, I don't care what you believe as long as you can defend it, right? As long as we can defend it, but we can also disagree reasonably when you yeah. when we can't when we can't discuss an issue when it has to be so black and white it gets and i guess angry is not the word it's just very frustrating yeah. um i try not to get angry because you know growing up i i used to have a bad temper um so uh, pushing it too angry you know i i try to put it in different terms i guess yeah how would you describe your personality um my personality i can be fairly sarcastic um i am someone who i am not naturally a social person right mm-hmm. whether which is funny because i chose a job where i'm performing daily but i am yeah. i'm happy being alone but i'm also happy being in a group i'm not someone who's going to lead i'm not particularly outgoing right mm-hmm. in that way um i'd like to think that i'm so I've gotten older, I've become more thoughtful and reasonable about things. Um, but I'm also, I'm someone who tries to enjoy things, right? Whether it's laughs and things, you know. Yeah. But I can be sarcastic and I can be uh, <laughs> goofy in that way, but it's also, I think some some people will probably describe me as a little more reserved. Mm-hmm. What will you buy if you received a gift of a million dollars? A million dollars, right? Um, <laughs> So if I was going to buy a car, I'd buy uh, the Aston Martin from the James Bond movies just because <laughs> it's a beautiful vehicle. Yeah. Uh, even though I'm not a big car guy, it's just that one's just uh, lovely. Um, but with a million dollars, that's not enough to retire and do nothing. But I'd probably take – it'd probably be trips, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if I had a million dollars, take a year off and do like a round-the-world cruise or something and, you know, a 200-day cruise or something yeah. like that, right? So I think I'd probably I'd, I'd end up probably buying less things and more experiences. Yeah. Favorite music genre? Favorite music genre. It's a little mood dependent, but um, I like um, as I've gotten older, I listen to a little more jazz and um, classical, which is kind of funny. <laughs> um, when I was younger, I still love classic rock and um, sort of classic country, not. I'm not as fond of the modern country, right? Yeah. Um, I make my students in lab listen to jazz or classical, which is <laughs> kind of funny. Yeah. I job you dream to have when you were a child? Um, if I go back to when I was really little, I said I was going to be a farmer on the moon. But <laughs> <laughs> those didn't work out. Um, I, I kind of, I guess when I was real little, I thought I'd be a farmer, but um, it's just a very, my father always sort of pushed me away from that because it's not the life. He wanted me to do something else. It's, Yeah. Especially tobacco farming is not a great profession anymore, right? So, um, you know, I wanted to work in industry. Um, I tell students this all the time. Plan B is important. I didn't understand that teaching was what I was really going to be good at. Mm. And I'm glad I was smart enough to look at the plan B, C, or D, whichever one it was. Yeah. Um, TV, show, TV shows or movies? Um, we watch both. I like movies quite a bit. Um My wife and I have a rule during the week. We Mondays we watch a movie, Tuesdays we watch a documentary, and the rest of the time we can watch what we want. Right? Oh. 
<laughs> so TV shows. Right now we're watching um, big fan of Ted Lasso on okay. Apple Plus uh-huh. and um, HBO's Succession right now. We're, we're watching a lot. <laughs> cats or dogs? Dogs. Dogs. You don't like cats? Cats are fine. I just prefer <laughs> dogs. Yeah, um, you you have two two, two dogs. dogs, right? How old are they? Um, Eli's probably nine or ten, and Toby's four. Oh, okay. And I I had a, a, an extra question here: Cristiano Ronaldo or Lionel Messi? Messi. <laughs> Easy. Why? <laughs> Because Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't make anyone better. And Messi does. Messi makes whatever team he's on better. Well. On PSG, I, I'm, I'm not seeing PSG better this okay, season. Okay, where's Cristiano playing? <laughs> <laughs> well, he's two years older than Messi, so you can't say that Messi will not be in the same league as yeah, Cristiano in two years. Cristiano Ronaldo, he's not much of a team <laughs> player either. And also, Messi's won a World Cup. With help of FIFA. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so let's keep your own bias out of it, right? <laughs> No, I mean, I have seen uh, even uh, like screenshots of how many times the FIFA Twitter account called a penalty for Argentina during the World Cup. It was like five or six times. Oh, well. So. Everybody, every, every, every loser is going to complain, blame <laughs> the refs, right? Do you think Cristiano can still win the World Cup next no. time? No. no? I, age is going to catch up with him. I, th- I think the last time when he was on Manchester United, it showed that he is him competing <coughs> at that top level because he can't. And, and this is this is why I think the difference between Messi and Ronaldo, Cristiano Ronaldo forces a team to play For one him. way, right, his way. And if it if he's not getting the ball, he becomes irrelevant. Mm-hmm. I've never seen Messi, even if they're losing, become irrelevant in a game. He's always in the mix and doing stuff. How many times have you seen Ronaldo have a bad, you know, get pouty, and if he's not getting the ball, he does, he just yeah. disappears on the side. Not especially last year, it was really the, hard for him. The Manchester United when he was there. I mean, granted, they weren't a very good team, but yeah. he also w- they were a much worse team when he was on the pitch. Yeah, but you know, it was not really. Well, at least individually, for him, not a bad year at Manchester either because he scored like 18 goals, something like that. Sure. I mean, he, he, still a, a spot kick or something like that. And I'm not saying, mm-hmm. you know, saying that Messi's better than Ronaldo. We're still splitting hairs in between yeah. maybe two of the top five to ten players who've ever played, yeah. right? You know, they're never going to approach someone like Pele, right, just historically because no. you have to keep them. Pele was... Messi and Ronaldo are significantly better than everyone else when they were in their prime. Yeah. But not like Pele was significantly better than everybody. Yeah. In Pele's prime, if you compared him to anyone else, he was. He, was, he played a different sport. Right? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, well, in soccer, by that time, it was totally different totally than today. Different. The ball um, the way of, yeah, everything yeah. was. Everything's different. Yeah. <laughs> Now you've got to look at what we talked about early, Holland. Yeah. I mean, that guy. <sighs> yeah, it's his first season, and he scored 50 goals already. And he, he broke the record for goals in a season. In, for, yeah, that's crazy. So he's, if he can stay healthy. But I, me, I think I like some of the players that don't get as much, you know. 
if if I was going to start a team and choose a player currently, mm-hmm. I would choose Kevin De Bruyne, mm. because Kevin De Bruyne can make other people look really good. I mean, you and I could stand in one place and he could kick a ball and bounce <laughs> it off of us and score. Right? Yeah. Now, granted, he's getting to an age where that's going to slow down, but yeah, what he brings to a game, and some of his passes are just. They should be illegal, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's a really good player. So, is your favorite team Manchester City? No, um, I never grew up watching the Premier League. Um, uh-huh. So I sort of choose. I, I love to watch Manchester City just because of the way they play. Pep Guardiola yeah. is just really fun. Um, unfortunately, right now I've chosen Spurs, Tottenham <laughs> as the team. Because, I mean, it's hard. So not you to have a team every season, like, you no, support? No, I, I, I stick with Spurs, but I'm, I, oh, always okay. use the ter- I always use the five-minute rule. If I can't get over a team's win or loss five minutes over after it's over, <laughs> how much effort am I putting into people that don't know me? Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and Spurs can be very frustrating, but Harry Kane's fun to watch. Yeah. They are I, not doing well this season. Oh, the, the Liverpool game yesterday was, was yeah. hard to watch. It was 4-3 in the end, right? Well, yeah, because they, they scored to tie it, and then 90 seconds later they gave up a goal to lose. Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I enjoy watching. I, I I loved watching Liverpool when Sala, when they were so dominant. I mean, I really I, – I watch the Premier League more than I watch La Liga or mm-hmm. – I watch Serie A and La Liga some, but I'm not as yeah. – I think part of that's also the culture, right? I'm not as versed in – those cultures as much to sort of appreciate and i think that the premier league is the top to bottom is the best league yeah you know for me it's weird that people here in the u.s watches soccer Mm -hmm. it's not common for me and Mm -hmm. it surprised me the first time we talk about sport uh and about the soccer and all these teams because it's not common for me to it's getting a lot more common here yeah it's it's growing a whole lot here which Mm -hmm. is and a lot of it's the the premier league's really helped because yeah those players you know i have teams i i think i have more teams in the premier league i dislike like i really dislike chelsea yeah (laughs) and i don't really know why i just do yeah i think it's because um i don't know i just i just dislike chelsea who who are you supporting for the world cup Actually, this year I did not watch the World Cup. Oh, really? The The fact that it was in Qatar and all of the scandal and the mm. human rights violations and the way they moved it, I love the World Cup. Yeah. And I love watching it, but I couldn't stomach it. Mm-hmm. And so I did not watch a single game. Wow. And that was really hard on me, but I just couldn't. FIFA is the most corrupt organization in the world. Yeah. And the whole, you know, the human rights violations, the way the stadiums got built, the fact that they put it in December. Mm-hmm. Just uh, because they wanted to do it in Qatar. And it's and and, and it's the the money behind it. And I know it's always like that, mm-hmm. but it it got to a tipping point where I couldn't I couldn't stomach it watching yeah. it. And it was hard. I, I was glad Argentina won because I think Messi I think the career he's had and and also the tragedy he's really had in the World Cup, mm-hmm. right? He's had yeah. disastrous. They've been like the best team and had disastrous performances. So I think that's good for him. But you know, it's one that I, I couldn't watch. I am excited for next year. My wife and I are already planning to get tickets for the the one when it's here. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's gonna be amazing. I I wish I I 
I could be here for for those days because it's probably the closest World Cup I I will mm -hmm. I will be. That'll be tickets in Kansas City. That's, yeah. I think that's where we're planning to go. Right. Yeah. So you say that Messi deserved um, mm -hmm. the World Cup already because of his career. Don't you think that Cristiano deserves it too? I don't know if Portugal does. I think I think it's a difference in team. Yeah. I think. Messi is more on a team, mm -hmm. and Cristiano, uh, without, uh, I think in the last few years, they've been better without him. <laughs> right? Think about yeah. the World Cup play. Yeah. From the, again, I said I didn't watch. I didn't, look, I didn't say I didn't look at stats. I didn't watch highlights, but I looked at stats. And stats showed that Portugal was a much more effective team when Cristiano wasn't there because he didn't. He forces them yeah. to play, and and I think I think a lot of it's attitude with Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, he's always only been about him. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's really, you know, I I'm a big fan of him, but um, sure. uh, in that matter, I think he's like he has a lot of ego and <laughs> <laughs> deservedly so. He is yeah. he is probably I said in the top probably unarguably the top 10 players he's played right yeah <laughs> i don't know if he's top five because that's a lot of players right don't you think he's top, top five? five yeah i don't know i mean messi is top five for him probably and cristiano no? yeah he's very close but i don't know <laughs> if he's top five <laughs> oh my god because okay. i mean you've also got to think about pele maradona well i, I george best you know i mean you've got all bella of these first Sidan. Sidan. I mean, Ronaldo and Ronaldo. Ronaldo. You know, Ronaldinho. Yeah, those Brazilian teams yeah. in the 90s. So, I mean, I think that's, I think we do endpoint analysis. We look <laughs> at what's right there. We forget about how dominant some of those players were. Yeah. And sometimes you've got to give it to a player. I think, I think at the end of his career, Kevin De Bruyne is a top 10 player, right? Just in the way. And that's not something we usually do. Unless you score goals, you don't get into the top ten, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, someone like a really awesome defender, like a Virgil van Dyke, he is a dominant defender. <laughs> But they don't get – they never get considered to be a top – Yeah. He wouldn't be in the top 25 for most people, right? Yeah. Or top 50. But he is – not this year, but – In the, past, in the past years he's been very dominant right yeah but it's but that's also you're splitting hairs mm -hmm. there's no way to directly compare those players anyway yeah in the spanish league which team do you think is better real madrid or barcelona i don't really have an opinion because i don't watch <coughs> him enough mm -hmm. um, it's hard not to like benzema yeah i mean he's just especially you put him in a big game i don't know if there's currently if there's another big game player as good as he is Well, right now, uh, the Spanish Liga has uh, Lewandowski in Barcelona. Yeah, Lewandowski is. Yeah. But, and right now, I think Lewandowski is the top scorer with mm -hmm. 18, and Benzema is 14, something like that. Yeah. So they are in that. They are, but it, it's Benzema in those, like, Champions League quarterfinals. Yeah. So, it, there's something different when he plays in a game. Yeah. I guess a game that matters, right? Yeah. <laughs> If it's an everyday game, he, he's still excellent, but Lewandowski is also, you know, and you've got like, you, you've also got to remember like uh, Klose, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or people looking back like Zidane when he was in his prime. Yeah. He's in his 40s and still can play, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, probably. So, it's fun. It's fun that you, you can have these arguments all the time and nobody wins, but that's the fun. Yeah, it's funny when you you debate with other people about sports and mm -hmm. everyone defends whoever they they feel it's the best or everybody's right and wrong at the same yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> all right. The the last thing is uh, I always give an opportunity for the guests to ask me any questions. So if you have any question. Okay. So how did this podcast come about? So is this a is this something that you just did, or is this did it stem from an assignment to you? No, it's not an assignment. Uh, actually, I started with a radio mm -hmm. show last year, and um, this year I was nominated for an award, and I went to a conference in New York City. Mm -hmm. And uh, after that, after I came from the conference, I I won the the award for the category I was for. Thank you. And uh, so after that, I was like mo motivated, you know, mm -hmm. a lot of motivations and excitement. And I was like, what What else can I do? And I also wanted to like start building more my curriculum. Mm -hmm. And uh, with the radio show, I was kind of doing doing it already. But the bad thing was that I couldn't upload those uh, mm -hmm. radio shows to a podcast or something like that because of copyright. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I wanted to do something that I w could uh, publish. So I was thinking about a podcast. But the first thing I thought about after I came from the conference was just to make one interview to mm -hmm. any faculty or staff. And the person that I thought about was uh, President Dunsworth. But when I was already planning the interview and everything, just like a special event, mm -hmm. then I was, why don't I do this with more people other than just him? And that's when I started to make a list of people mm -hmm. that I would like to, to bring to the show. And after that, Well, the the hardest part was the first reach to mm. the guest, like yeah. sending emails or, or whatever and trying to convince them or mm. make them appealing to come here. So that's how it basically started. But it's not like uh, an assignment or a class. I'm not even a media productions yeah. uh, major. I'm a strategic communication, but I, I really like this part of the communications field and uh, um, this is probably the thing that I would like to work mm -hmm. like in this type of environments more than in an office or something like that I mean this is kind of an office too but it's I'm doing something um, I'm actively doing something and talking to interesting people so things like that are like things that I, I like the most so that's how it basically started yeah I guess my last question what's the what's the thing you miss the most from home and what will be the thing you think you'll miss the most from Ozarks oh. uh, I think probably the thing that I miss the most from my house or it's probably my family being surrounded by them the food obviously i think that's er everyone that you ask will tell you the the same probably and um 
from all sarks i think i will miss all these vibes that the campus has around all the nature and sadly there's something that i will miss because of how things are in my country different because here i have the freedom to go to the dollar tree down the hill at 8 p.m and use my phone and not being concerned about that anything will happen to me sadly in honduras i can't do that and uh whenever i'm in honduras uh, or uh, before coming to ozarks if i went in on bus to whatever place in 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 the capital i will try to hide my my cell phone to avoid getting like robbed by any person that because that's kind of common if you are riding a bus a person can get inside the bus and point you a gun and mm -hmm. rob you so uh those things i think I, i'll miss that um freedom and calm and certainty that i will be safe because i feel safe here mm -hmm. but I know that I will not be as safe in Honduras. So that's that's sad, but it yeah. it will it will happen probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So any any final words that you would like to say? No, I think I'm good. I think I've, I've said I've talked a lot. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> I I have enjoyed this this yeah, conversation. Yeah, a lot yeah. of fun. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened to the CDRB show. I'm Christian Rodriguez, and you can follow us on Instagram at CDRB Productions. I'll see you next time. Thank you.